Hello and welcome to Plato's KRRR Film Criticism and Podcast. My name is Flick Ford and in the absence of our seminal leader and spiritual Paul Anthony Nelson, I'll be guest host for tonight's show. And joining me in the cave tonight is the ever-eloquent Emma Westwood. Hello, Emma. (laughs) Now I'll stumble over my words (laughs) after you say that. I've set you up to fail. I know. And who else? Is there anyone else? There's no one else. Technically, we have two silent members, uh, Faith and and Carl on on the panel coming tonight. (laughs) We we might get them to jump in at some stage. Have you seen the films, guys? No, no. They don't know what we're reviewing yet. Oh, Oh, we've seen one. Yeah, on tonight's show, we have an all-star and all-female lineup. We pop on our favourite karaoke track, throw back shots of Baiju, eat way too many dumplings and sing slash cry along with (laughs) Lulu Wang's debut feature. Actually, not debut feature, Second film, oh, oh, the or in farewell. The, in the variety sense, sophomore feature. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then we wrap ourselves in vintage wine-stained fur jackets and kick on to the debaucherous after-party that is Sophie Hyde's Animals. And for our retro pick, which is my retro pick, flick stick, I'm sure there's lots of other <laughs> ways to say this. We can drag it out for another hour. Uh, we lovingly trace our fingers along the beautiful wooden keys of Jane Campion's erotic masterpiece from 1993, The Piano. Surely you should have gone with um, Election. <laughs> Pick Flick. I oh, know. Hey, I'm, I'm saving that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but before we kick off, uh, just a friendly reminder that if you didn't get a chance to subscribe to Triple R during Radiothon, you still have time to lodge a subscription. And if you get in by, um, by the end of the Radiothon pay-up period, which is the 25th of September, you'll still be eligible for a wide range of major prizes. And that includes uh, Cinema Nova Gold Plus, which entitles the card o- card holder. Sorry, to a double pass to films for 12 months. There's also a Museums Victoria and IMAX Super Pass, which entitles the winner to a year's worth of amazing museum and IMAX experiences, a premium museum membership and access to every nocturnal event and many, many. Uh, just a reminder that Triple R is a not-for-profit community media organisation. We're held together by the goodwill, hard work, passion and dedication of over 800 volunteer staff and the wonderful generosity of subscribers, donors and sponsors into the station. Perhaps more importantly, Triple R provides an alternative to commercial stations and remains an independent landscape. So if you're not yet subscribed to Triple R, please head to rrr.org.au and subscribe to help keep this station running. So for our first film of tonight, we begin uh, tonight's global tour of female filmmaking with Beijing-born and Florida-raised Lulu Wang and her second feature film after 2014 post with this year's festival darling, The Farewell. The film, which is both written and directed by Wang, is based on her own life experience. When Wang's grandmother was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, her family decided not to tell her the truth, in the belief that knowing she would likely die in three months would only worsen her likely surviving. So this curious predicament was also the subject of Wang's personal essay that was broadcast as high profile as This American Life. The podcast and recordings of in conversation with her grandmother Nai Nai proved exceptionally popular and allowed for Wang to skewer her film. In The Farewell, Wang's on-screen double is Billy, a Chinese-American writer living in New York and played by the wonderfully Aquaf, who you might remember from her scene-stealing performance in last year's smash hit, uh, John M. Chu's Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> which was the first major Hollywood picture with a predominantly Asian-American cast um, since The Joy Luck. And indeed, Wang's film offers a meaningful consideration of cultural practice, mortality, independence, 
um, and has a lot of resonance, I think, with uh, its predecessors have that share that same intersection. Um, the Farewell was the closing night film for this year's Melbourne International Film Festival, and in just one hour and 40 minutes, it challenged the effectiveness of my so-called water mascara <laughs> and magically transformed me into a terrifying mix of black swan with some furiosa realness. <laughs> Emma... <laughs> Were you similarly morphed into a well-dressed Halloween face after Wang's film or do you have a mascara that is actually waterproof or do you have a heart of, of stone? I probably have a heart of stone. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't feel teary with this film. I probably should have but I didn't feel teary but it didn't mean I didn't. I didn't love this film. Did you also, actually, were you also at the closing night? No, no, because I was um, I was seven seas away at oh, that time, so I, I missed out on that. But I I actually saw it for the first time last night. Oh, fabulous! Yeah, very so fresh. I, yeah, very fresh. So I went to. Um, I went to a screening last night and I tried to avoid all the talk, but knowing that it had been the, the closing night film at MIFF. Um, and uh, I, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this film. I liked the, I've kind of feel like I've got a, a sort of awakening to Aquafina because I, I haven't been familiar with her music uh, yet. I've seen both um, Ocean's 8, which she appeared <laughs> yeah. in, and also, uh, the scene stealing, as you said, <laughs> which is correct. Uh, I, I totally agree. She's one of the characters that I remember from Crazy Rich Asians. And there's something about her. I mean, no, no wonder she doesn't surprise me that she's become quite a hip-hop uh, star because she has this remarkable voice. It's very, very um, re- um, memorable. Yeah. Uh, I seem to... Yeah. to to cling to her voice. Her speaking voice is appropriate for rap, I guess. She also has a definite um, way of holding herself, which I saw, I read a review where they kind of made a point of this sort of head forward, world weary stance that she has in this film. But I I kind of see see that as a bit of her anyway. Um, But she's always played more comic role shall we yeah, say yeah and you, you see that in crazy rich asians like she's Absolutely. so hilarious she's i love her in so that. funny that's she's probably the funniest character in that and oh she easily really, yeah. you know really propels it along uh and this to see her play a role that you know it was really focused on her and um and really layered was you know i thought you know, cuz she was kind of as you've discussed this is this kind of little mini asian american awakening in cinema that's happening um you know ca- means that she's carrying quite a burden on her oh, shoulders cuz she absolutely. seems to have to represent a, a generation of um this cross cultural upbringing in Mm. this film and um, I think that it comes out uh, most prominently through the fact that she is the the naysayer in some ways that she doesn't want the family she wants the family to tell her nene her grandmother that she is dying because she feels like she should know and it's a very American a very American value this idea of full disclosure and and that the Chinese um, rationale was this is first of all kinder and also it means that what was it the Chinese saying if you know you, something about if you know yeah, you have, if you this, have cancer yeah. you you like die we a, yeah they've got we have a saying in China that when you have cancer you die you die <laughs> so if we don't tell her then yeah. she's more and I and I get it I get this conundrum I can see how you you know for full disclosure I don't think we can do this here or we could do that in America you have to it's a, yeah it's a very much that 
discussion around uh, individualism, personal agency is so apparent in this film. And especially there's a fantastic dinner scene that I think kind of it kind of made the hairs on my um, arms stick up a bit because I felt like it really was something I hadn't seen on screen in a very contemporary and popular film where they actively address these sorts of um, ideas around individualism and yes. this idea of what the what America and the Western education might offer and also what is lost in translocation. Yeah, um, and there was a beautiful. lot of cynicism about um, the Chinese-based family about sending their child to America and the idea of the, the values of what America represents and yeah. – and, um, the, even the fact that I love the way that this start this film starts by saying this is based on an actual lie. Yeah. Because yeah. we have so many films that are, you know, state whether the, the 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 varying levels of truth. I think that now cinema is moving into a stage where it's playing on that kind of concept of truth. Um, Vice did in its yeah. um, opening its opening cards as such. Um and and I love that idea of this is based on an actual lie. It says one lie. It was, and the lie is pretty apparent as soon as, uh, you know, it doesn't take long before we get into the film to find it out. Yeah, I think it's it's mentioned in the trailer as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I felt, which is, you know, we've mentioned it, the grandmother, (laughs) you know, with the stage four cancer. But um, I felt that I was, it it kind of created a sense of, I was waiting for something more lies through the film. It created it, yeah. But isn't, isn't the very fact that they're maintaining the lie just a console? constant betrayal in a lot of ways like absolutely no it wasn't like I was expecting uh, that I needed anything else I think it was that it just set up this kind of um extra level of expectation mm, whether it was re- yeah. revealed or not whether it was came to fu- fruition or not was yeah, was kind of mean. irrelevant and I like that it paid as another level across the film for me mm. um and there's just something about the the facade of the the characters when they're they're with the um, Nene, with the grandmother as well. And there's a lot of stuff that goes through your mind with the interactions about, does she already know? Does Mm. she actually just know? Um, And I won't say. (laughs) It's it's interesting as well that Lulu Wang has, um, so as I mentioned before, it's based on a personal essay that was in NPN, This American Life. And then she's gone and made a film and it's amazingly successful, has got distributed in China, um, presumably being written about in Chinese media. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, it kind of did make me, maybe more so in the aftermath of this film, I enjoyed the film immensely whilst watching it, but it did make me think about responsibility and the ethics of continuing this story. I think she's obviously keen to engage with it. It's a fascinating sort of setup. Yeah. But um, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it just kind of made me think about um, when giving someone agency over their circumstances and the film is is an exploration of that so the film is is designed to sort of engage with those very questions and is really a cultural study as well I found it amazingly um I felt like the family was real like it just and they're based on a real family but sometimes representation or screen representations don't always give that feel it can be as true a story as anything and (laughs) you just don't believe and you don't you don't engage and one of my favourite scenes in the film is the the wedding, um, and I love the, the wedding. The wedding is too. amazing. I could just watch that on repeat. I think that there's so much liveliness and sadness and beauty in these little moments. Yeah, and they communicate it so well. I mean, Aquafina does hold the film together. There's a fantastic drinking game that they play, and it just <laughs> it perfectly captures joy. And yeah. I think it's so wonderful to 
um, align that narrative of joy alongside what is a really sad setup. Like this woman has a terminal illness. She's likely mm. to die. Um, you know, it's a very upsetting setup, but yet you have these moments, it almost brings out these moments of joy. And I think the film, you get in on it, like the, the drinking game, and it's beautifully shot. They kind of do this around the table, and it's used a lot in, in film uh, where they just kind of do a little cl- uh, medium close up on each person around the table as they're doing yeah, drink, the yeah. drinking game. And no, um, I loved it. It's done so well. Yeah. I, I agree. And the karaoke. Yeah, as the well. karaoke is wonderful. <laughs> yes. With her dad, I loved that scene. Well, it, it's, it's, I think it's for me it resonated more on this this level of um even more than this idea of agency more on this uh, Aquafina um embodying two cultures mm. and this cultural push and pull um one representing and and so many people can relate to that now I think not just that's why it probably has played out so well here in Australia because so many people be in that situation here yeah, as yeah. well and this idea that there's even within yourself, there's this cultural clash yeah. of, you know, um, I recognise, like, she could speak to me. She could speak Mandarin quite well. And 70, something like 70% of this film is in yeah. Mandarin. Yeah, that's is... something that stood out to me. And yeah. even in the trailer, and often there's this tendency to really whitewash those kind of films where it's like, let's make sure they, you know, either won't include subtitles or they all mainly yeah. have people speaking English when it doesn't necessarily make sense that they'd be English speaking. But this film stays true to the to the story it's telling. And there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of Mandarin being spoken throughout the film. And it's, it's just, and... Even, and even the on-screen representation, it's really um, as far as that goes. And, and I think they've felt the the city that they're based in felt real as well. Like yeah. they put it, you know, there's there's all it's anchored this very uh, accurate representation. I only read today that um, Lulu Wang had a terrible time trying to get this film financed. Yeah, um, it's released through apparently it's a twenty-four studio, and I me- mention a twenty-four only because I'm incredibly impressed by their releases. Yeah. I, I seem to be able to. Tell take a punt on A24 films and be delighted every time. Yeah, and like yeah, Things yeah. like even this year, uh, what did we, we had Midsummer from them. Last year was Good Times. Love that too. <laughs> and what was Jonah Hill's debut this year? I oh, the name. Um, just for uh, a second, I yeah, can't mid- remember that. Um, 90s? Mid-90s. Mid-90s, <laughs> mid-90s. Another one that I thought I wouldn't like. And so they've – this. The farewell is comes from A24, but in terms of the production funding, she, uh, Lulu Wang had a terrible time um, in America and then mm. she went to China to go, try and get the funding and was very deflated by the attitude of the Chinese companies who wanted a Western star. Yeah. So this yeah. idea that even in China that still the the American commercialism played out. And, yeah. And, and she stuck to her guns and she got it, which is yeah. fantastic. And I think that, I mean, there's a universal, universality to her story and I think that that's kind of, and it's kind of lovely because it's both very precise, it's for a very particular place and time, but um, the themes that, the film deals with touch into all these different Absolutely. i am um, also interestingly enough uh, a24's first pg film so yeah yeah you can take the whole family it's <laughs> you can't take the whole family to midsummer <laughs> let's just well, you say could. maybe a different kind of family um so uh the farewell is now screening at all major in and independent cinemas in melbourne you're listening to a triple r podcast Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. 
To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. For our second cinematic destination in tonight's whistle-stop tour of female filmmaking, we arrive in contemporary Dublin and meet rambunctious and politically engaged Tyler, played with a fantastic liveliness by Arrested Development's Alia Shawkat and her best friend, the wine-swilling writer Laura, played by British actor Holiday This is another second feature film for another female director, Adelaide's own Sophie Hyde. The film is the first feature film made from a co-production treaty between Australia and Ireland that was signed in 1998. It's based on British writer Emma Jane Unsworth's novel of the same name, 2000. The book garnered considerable praise with author and broadcaster Caitlin Moran describing it as with nail and eye for girls. <laughs> <laughs> was sentiment that perhaps prompted the screen adaptation and definitely prompted me to see it. Um, indeed, there are very there are strong parallels to be made with Bruce Robinson. There's two women at the centre of Hyde's animals, and wonderfully they're wonderfully reckless and equally prone to existential dread, lengthy platitudes, empty philosophising, and ravaged by the sharp edges of love, lust, and long term. Emma, were you keen to have another tequila shot with Laura and Tyler, or getting a home? <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit too close to the bone for me, really. <laughs> this that's interesting, the with nail and I comparison and and for some reason I never made that comparison and maybe because I I I felt that I, I compared it along gender lines, which is, mm. is sort of unfair. It's made me question where this has come from with me. Maybe it's like I, I kept on thinking about it more in terms of Sex in the City as yeah. Sex in the City as the grand dame of um, this kind of content, and then uh, Lena Dunham's Girls, you know, coming into you know that you know next generation, and then and then we we land on on this film, and in some ways I watch it and I feel like it's so uh, self consciously indulgent in some ways, but then. Yeah, you know, you, with Nail and I, you can have one for guys and that's fine. And somehow maybe I feel guilty thinking that oh. this is just, um, oh, look at us, you know, Western women, we just, you know, just about our, the minutiae of our lives and not necessarily the grand concepts or the bigger picture. And But I think that's my own personal guilt and, watching yeah. this sort well, of thing. I think Moran's know? quote is, I mean, she's referring to the book, but I think it gives... Um, fantastic sort of freedom for us to kind of sink into this film, which is why I kind of decided to include it in the opening notes because I think that, yeah, yeah. It is, it's a kind of – it's pretty odd little film as far as structure goes. Um, it's very rambling, much it, like us, Emma. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just a carbon copy of tonight's show, guys. Yep. Um, we've got red wine here on the tables. Oh, no, I we wish. Well, wish. I wish. And there was a lot of wine in this film and oh there was a gosh. lot of tequila. I watched and there it was whilst Hung over. It's terrible. <laughs> I was there just going like, put the glass down. You're living the life. I know. Like, you're living the life. I actually had the exact same experience. Not the uh, creator. Uh, the guilt club yeah, yeah. or something. <laughs> but I, um, I had the same experience when I watched Drinking Buddies. Do you remember that film? Yes, Crooked yes. Year? And I was keen to see it, but I was so hung over and I was just watching them sink like pint after pint. I was just like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> did otherwise like that film, but the drinking got a bit too much. Um, I like that it was – it did didn't um, shy away from the every aspect of the partying, and it really yeah. did put alcohol consumption um, front and center, and um, drug use, They've and got drug that use, yeah, pot of. Um 
a jar of meth, is it? That they carried around the entire yeah. time. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I felt really yeah. old. I felt exceptionally it? uncool. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I missed a bit. <laughs> but, but it did. I, you mentioned before girls, and yes. I was thinking it's interesting. I feel like it was slightly edgier than girls in some ways. Um, mm. Maybe it's just because it's a feature film rather than it. So they've kind of packed a lot. Yeah, you have a different a very different narrative structure mm. and, and therefore plays out as a different feel. I mean, if anyone's seen Sex and the City series compared to Sex and the City movies, you really understand how that works as a direct comparison. Mm. But um, it also reminded me of something that comes from oh, more in the Australian tradition, which is the Secret Life of Us television oh, yeah. series. Yeah. And um, I could see that playing into it a lot. But what I really liked about this um, is Aaliyah Shawkat and She's Holiday so Granger. Both of them, um, although Aaliyah sort of plays more of the sidekick in it, I yeah. guess. I was a bit upset that there's one bit in which, uh, actually, it's across all of her romantic things throughout the film. You just they never they're never engaged in it at all. She no. kind of walks off and she's like says in this really like flirty way, like I'll be back in eight minutes. Yes, but it's. It's not actually explored. And I kind of felt like she was almost quite desexualized, Dion, which is a bit of a shame she was, in a lot of ways. She seemed there to um, just completely facilitate Laura's story yeah. in it. Which might have been like maybe we're reading it the wrong as the main character. I was just assumed that the two women should have had equal well, footing. Yeah, it's the, it, the, the pictures around the relationship. Mm. It seems to be about the idea that this is a female relationship and I can see sort of unique aspects of what I've experienced or seen in female relax, relationships in this film especially a sort of emotional codependency that mm. can um oh, can be to the detriment of other relationships which mm. is what you know was being played out quite strongly in this but um Tyler Aaliyah Shawcat's character was uh she also had seemed to have a very because she wasn't well very strong backstory because she wasn't um Irish either she was American mm. and there was this uh story around her family and and something happens with her father that is only sort of glanced over and it's more played out in the way that Laura isn't there for her so it's yeah. more there as once again yeah. to facilitate this idea of the mm. relationship with Laura and I wanted to know more and I kind of thought oh, do I is that that might be on purpose I kind of I kind of do get it but I think that she's just such a strong actress and therefore makes such a strong character out of it that I felt like I was missing something there Yeah and mm. I think um other films that have a so- similar kind of cover similar ground would be Francis Harris one. Yes. And yeah, I think yep. that that might also that film might also suffer the fate of focusing on in that case Francis. Yeah. And not necessarily I mean the, at least the film's named after her. Yeah. Um this one's animals notably plural so <laughs> must refer to both of them. Yeah, yeah. And and they kind of are quite animalistic. I love the fact that there's women on screen just acting really badly. There's something enjoyable about watching that. Yeah. And really sassy and very witty screenplay. Um it was adapted by the author of the novel so it does have a lot of traction with that um but th- yeah there's a real um i suppose the film the 
things that I was thinking of when I'm watching this was Broad City. I thought that that kind of had a similar I sort of filter. Ah, oh, fantastic TV okay. series. Do watch that straight All right. away. Um, and also more of a, a literary reference, but Conversations with Friends. Yeah. Okay. Which which kind of both both of those um, both of those texts in different ways engage with this question of female friendship, which I think, as you were saying, like uh, Lisa, Emma, I've got Lisa <laughs> written be- down on my diary. <laughs> I just read it. Hi, Lisa. Oh, hi, Lisa. <laughs> Shout out to Lisa. Um, uh, sorry, reading my notes whilst talking. Um, but my main point was that this idea of, um, yeah, there's lots of media texts that will play in this question of female friendship. And I love that it's become a subject and is engaged with in different ways. I'm not sure where I kind of sit with this film, though. What I, I kind of feel as though it was a little bit messy, both in what's happening, which is fun, but I wasn't sure. Some bits felt a little bit repetitive. Like I got that they set up a dynamic yeah. between the two women, but then it just sort of repeated itself a little bit. Um, one thing I did like was the way in which uh, the na- – I am not. I don't want to spoil the film or give away any details, but I did love the way in which romantic relationships didn't become – didn't fall into a trap that a lot of other films fall in, yeah. especially when we thought gender ones. And I was really happy. I don't know. I think there's believability to the women's friendship. Oh, yeah. And, and, and kind of quite both quite difficult women and not necessarily likeable. I don't know whether I was that on board with either of them at different times. I was – yeah, I was the same. And I think that's um, – I really, you know, to hark back and it's probably, you know, it's 20 odd years now, but something like this does owe a lot to Sex in the City because at that time I remember when it came out and it, <laughs> strangely it's only Flick and I in the show tonight. We probably do need someone like Paul because I would really be interested to see a man's take on this film because I remember at the time when Sex and the City came out as a TV series, a lot of men that I spoke to hated it, absolutely Mm. hated it. And I think it was that animal presentation of women on screen that women could have these really um, unpalatable desires and, um, and be crass in a way that certain men might not like to see them yeah. that way. It's interesting. Uh, I actually yeah. did. I, I was at um, Pub Footy on Saturday and was chatting to my friends. He loved it. Like, oh, I'm excited about it because well, he really is, got into it. This so, would also be interesting to see a, a bit of a generational yeah, change too yeah. because we're talking about, uh, you know, a series that came out a long time ago compared to – Compared to this, it might mm. there might be a change in climate. But like you said, you know, the animals is obviously referring to party animals because they were very much about their partying. But there was a lot around the idea of vomit and and urine and poo and you know all of that as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I um I kind of um I think that one of the things I probably could have done with more of in this mm. film was some of the tenderness and love that I've seen in, uh, you know, series like Broad City, but also uh, the recent release Booksmart, where there's, uh, I know that's a different, um, they're different aged girls in that film, but I feel like there's a, such a beautiful girls that I would have liked to see maybe more moments of that between characters. Yeah, you kind of got the feeling that I think it was set up that that was their, that was the background we were coming from. They had a 10 year friendship and you could kind of see what I thought was a really, um, big achievement for these two these two two actors was that they managed to create a sense of history which yeah, is often yeah. really hard to do on film because obviously the actors are probably most often or not have just met each other and they've 
they really give a sense of a legacy of friendship. Yeah, um, Which is really, really impressive. But uh, Ali, both of them, are, you know, have really got, you know, great um, acting stripes. I mean, Alia Shawkat, I didn't realise she was actually in Three Kings. I think that was her debut with her father. Oh, right. You know, the David O. Russell yeah, film? So that yeah, was a yeah. long, long time ago. She was a kid. I, I feel like I have to watch it again to see her. But from that, the Arrested Development roles came about and, mm. and so forth. She was also here. I don't know whether anyone saw her, but she was here as a part of Myth oh, last year. I tried year. to get that. And they were sold. It was yeah. sold out. I yeah. Instantly sold out. There She's you very go. popular. Fantastic. Good yeah. on her. And, I, and actually, I heard an interview with uh, the director, uh, Sophie Hyde, and she was talking about the way in which both actors were really keen to be given roles that were nice and meaty and difficult. Like they often were put as like the girlfriend, not yeah. really had no material to work with. So yeah, that's the, the sort of, it's, it is exciting to see those kind of characters on screen. And, and I think, um, I don't know, it's kind of stuck with me and I did enjoy, I actually really enjoyed the soundtrack. It was so hard for me to pick a favorite because all the tunes that were playing and they, they're just playing I the wanted, background. I wanted to know if you were going to play some spoken word. <laughs> oh I'm I've doing some... spoken word right now. Are you? <laughs> no. Um, I've, 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 I've this. This. Okay, I've this. this is my version. Of I've been word. to a couple of uncomfortable spoken word oh, nights, so yeah. that really resonated with me as well. I actually, you know, this is just a. I'm I'm trying to. I'm in the final stages of writing my PhD. Well, I say that I've been saying that for a few years now, but um, I found it actually a little bit triggering having this woman. Laura is a writer, and she's really struggling, and that's something the film looks into, like. On one hand, Tyler's telling her, you just, you know, just when um, genius will just strike you and then you can write it and just come out partying with me. And then her boyfriend at one point is, oh, I'm a really good pianist because I practice gets done. And I was like, oh. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, you. Anyway. (laughs) Triple. Ah. So we're now on the last leg of our international flight of female-directed flicks and possibly still emotionally jet-lagged from Chinese-American Lulu Wang's heartfelt film The Farewell or stocking up with Judy Free Gin with Australian director Sophie Hyde's uh, Dublin-based Animals. We are now in the 1850s and hoping for a soft landing on the rocky beaches of New Zealand for Jane Campion's cinematic masterpiece Piano. So this was my pick. Um, I suppose I should give a quick quick rundown of what this you film is should. about. You should. Um, and why you picked it. Yeah. So this is Why a, is this Flick's pick? <laughs> this, is a, this is a strange little um, film for me. I actually saw this uh, when I was about 10. Old. Very bad. It's very rude. Um, my mum was always... <laughs> my mum was very lax with the censorship of film. So she's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's a great film. I can't believe you got a full frontal from Harvey yeah, Keitel when you were 10. It says a lot about me, Starred doesn't it? Starred you explains, for life. Explains me, really. <laughs> Um, so I watched this when I was 10 and then uh, I'm part of um, Cinematech and we screened it um, last year and I saw it properly like an adult. And I remember, so when I watched it as a child, I remember my comment was, uh, I don't understand why she doesn't just get a job and buy her own piano. <laughs> feminist from a young age and my mum was like just rolled her eyes it was just like oh you just don't understand and of course I didn't understand because it is a very intense film Uh, the basic premise is a woman and her young daughter arrive on the rocky coast of New Zealand um, because of a arranged marriage with um, the wonderful Neil Um, and during that time um, they the sort of a love affair um, 
develops in a local station. Um, it is a very sexy film mm-hmm. and I did appreciate it a lot more as an adult. Uh, <laughs> I can say that much. Um, Emma, I don't have a sassy question for you tonight. <laughs> Just tell me your thoughts. I think that Harvey Keitel might be the best on-screen kisser that I've ever seen. Yeah. Although how his head just looked massive in comparison to tiny Holly Hunter. Yeah, but t- <laughs> Holly's just – she's a tiny woman. Isn't she's she just such a powerhouse though? Oh, I, she's amazing. I, um, she's amazing. Yeah. You know that she p- played all the piano yes. in this and she did the sign language. I think she taught Anna Paquin the yeah. sign language. She's yeah. got something like three credits. Also Anna Paquin's first acting role. So she was born in Canada. Yep. And um, then moved to uh, well, I can't remember. Anyhow, she was living in uh, New Time. She won she an Oscar cast. for this, didn't she? Yeah, I should know the answer to that. She I was at least maybe. nominated. There was stuff around that she was yeah. the youngest um, Oscar nominee. Or I have a feeling she did. Well, Jane Campion was only the second female at the time, so the first one. And then there's only been three other female directors. Hence why we're only focusing on women directors today because there's a uh, severe lack uh, of uh, representation. Well, this is the thing. Yes, you would say that, but I think that they are, it is creeping in more now. I think that the fact that we, this show happened in some ways quite incidentally and then it ended up just being me and Flick. Two women doing the show. We've actually, we've it, actually it just, just happened. Um, it just we, happened. We drugged and gagged Paul. He's just That's waiting right. in the corner. <laughs> we're, not let, we're not allowing him to have a mic. Shut He's up, here. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a takeover. But, but that that actually happened quite organically, and I thought yeah. that was really lovely to think that 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 has just happened. It's not. Yeah. We're not doing this as a tokenistic display no, or the, anything like the that. The piano. The piano is one of my favourite films of all time. Like it really is. It's amazingly tactile and camp. Champion is an amazing director. I, I wasn't a big fan of Bright Star, but one of the things that really stood out to me about that film, the way that she's able to capture texture on film, mm-hmm. possibly one of my favourite films, The Cut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so she, – she's so <laughs> It's a very good. controversial one because that upset mm. a lot of people with Meg, Meg Ryan's presentation in yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I just find those – she's – not just her, her female characters are always so cocks and she mm-hmm. really takes time with them and so much is communicated without work. And I think that's the real beauty of, of it. I actually rewatched it last night. And to night have a on, mute character. Yes. Perfectly. Yes. And yeah. the way in which the hands act as both a, a means by which to communicate with her young daughter and the world around her, but also touching and explore. Yeah. Um, I, um, the other film that I was thinking of the cut is. The way in which that's communicated, the shots as well, like there's some fantastic framing. And I re- so I was saying I was re-watching it last night on my laptop and I kept on, oh, it's just not the same. And it's really a film you have to, if possible, see it on a big, yeah, see it in a, yeah. um, it's just a film. The, p- the Piano is a film that, at the at the time when it came out, and I was a little bit older than you, Flick, so um, it really resonated. In fact, I was how old was I? I was nineteen when it came out, so mm. uh, I think the sensuality of it um, really resonated with me somehow, and in a very strange way, um, the Nightingale made me think of it again um, in a, uh, the the release of the Nightingale recently, a much more brutal film, although there's a, a, there is brutality in the, the piano. The Nightingale doesn't have any of the sensuality of the piano. Um, but it did, did remind me of the piano in some ways. But I think what's so great about uh, Jane Campion's film is that she manages to present a whole lot of uh, really multi-dimensional characters. You were saying that about the female lead, um, which is definitely true. But 
all of them. Um, I mean, even Sam Neill's character is in many ways the villain of this film, but um, there's a part of you that can't help but feel sorry for him as well. And in the same way that George Baines, the Harvey Keitel character, um, ostensibly uh, has her prostituting herself out at the start of it um, to get a piano that she already currently owns. Um, And then there's there's the, the character of Ada, which is Holly Hunter's character, and she is just remarkable in this role. And that the fact that... I have to read this out because yeah, I read this on um, I read this on uh, Wikipedia. Whoever wrote it, right, <laughs> yeah. said, and this is just the start of it. The piano is a nineteen ninety three New Zealand period drama film about a narcissistic, psychologically mute young woman. I thought that was really. Yeah. Really rough. I think it's a... <laughs> I mean, she's flawed. We didn't watch the same film, obviously. Yeah, yeah. but to, to single her out... Yeah, I think like that's that a very gendered... A... I think that's a very gendered reading. It was really yeah. rough. I mean, she isn't a totally likeable character. No, no. And, she, and you can kind of understand why, like... Imagine, imagine oh, yes. being in her position. Like she's been sent over the seven seas to marry someone she doesn't know, and she yeah. has no choice about it whatsoever. Also, literally, her her voice is her piano. It's left abandoned on the on beach. A, on a beach, like I'd be there on the beach. But I found this to be this was where Jane Campion really emerged. I think as a strong narrative storyteller, and I am my personal taste. I do find that I I am uh, drawn towards heavy narrative pieces that um and there's just I don't think that there's a moment of this film it's not too late I don't think there's not too long I should say I don't think there's a moment of this film that um has any fat in it that needs to be trimmed um I think that uh it isn't as bleak a film as, say, something like The Nightingale. It's got, it, it actually offers you something else to, despite the fact that it is really about, you know, hardship. I like the way that the Indigenous um, people of, you know, this film have, they've somehow got it all over everyone else and they're kind of looking, it's like they're sitting back and laughing at everyone yeah, in yeah. this. Um, and it is, there are moments you were saying before about how Sam, Sam Neill's character, a lot of, you know, compassion to in a lot of ways. Like he's, he's probably like the villain. In this, but I thought that that's actually largely communicated some of the ons nudity that we were all about before, but it's kind of true. Like the, yeah. I found it interesting no, um, that the men are actually the first character you see naked, actually. Yeah. So yeah. Harvey Keitel, of course, and then later on Sam Neill sort of lying face down in the bed. And there's a real vulnerability, not just like an obvious yeah. vulnerability, but there's also like a you tenderness s- in that moment. You could see this film being played out in a totally different way around permissiveness. Mm, absolutely. Um, but she just, oh, it just works so beautifully. Also, it's just every relationship is so complex and, and the mother-daughter relationship, um, the one with uh, Ada pa- um, uh, Anna Paquin who plays Laura, her character name. Yeah, but she's never actually, they never say her name. No, but that's she's, so, she's, she's so young and it, it, and it shows the... The the connection between the two of them is so strong. In some ways, it's their um, it's their survival, it's their lifeline. That the two of them. And um, what I noticed was at the times when they're they're very much together and in in synchronous with each other is that their hairstyles and their headdress oh, match. Wasn't that beautiful? The mirroring. Yeah. I loved that. And it's just they're so, like little birds. Yeah, I love their faces. I know I always feel like I've focused on actors' faces, but they've got such strange. Um, no, 
No, I mean, I love this film. I Hopefully um, it encourages people to go out and check it out because it's currently available to stream on Amazon Prime. And it's on SBS On Demand. Is it? I was That's to... where I oh. found it. Yes, okay. yes. Like a properly uh, research that. I actually own a copy, so I watched it. But, um, <laughs> you know. Um, all right. So you are listening to Plato's Cave on trip with Emma Westwood and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show in our all-female lineup, we discuss Lulu Wang's The Farewell, now screening at all major cinemas, Adelaide local Sophie Hyde's Animals, now screening at all good independent cinemas, and Jane Campion's seminal 19 Piano, available to stream on Amazon Prime and SBS On Demand. So you can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on Plato's Cave page at rrr.org au right now you can also subscribe uh, like everyone else tonight to the plato's cave podcast via itunes or wherever else podcast uh next week our intrepid cavers will punch through rambo last blood stare lovingly at brad pitt's beautiful face <laughs> in ad astra <laughs> and for our be- um, beloved anchor and plato's own king of comedy we have a good chuckle at poor anthony nelson's retro pick martin scorsese's the king of comedy a huge thank you to Faith Everard for editing the Plato's Cave podcast and to Carl Chapman for panelling the show this week. And also to Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show. I mentioned and it earlier. And thanks to you, Flick, oh, for jumping thank in. thank you. Thanks for listening to Triple R's Plato's Cave, a weekly radio show of informed, passionate and fun film criticism. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch with us via the Plato's Cave Facebook page, Twitter or via the Triple R website.